0: Did you know the African American buying power is currently 1.2 trillion, and yet in the United States alone, only two cents of every dollar an African American spends goes back to black-owned businesses? In my Biggie Voice, well, if you don't know, now you know. Okay, I'm not gonna bore you with my teenage dreams of battle rapping on stage. But I am super excited to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Lakeisha. Howman, A.K.A. Dr. Key. As the founder and CEO of the Village Market ATL, not only is she using her voice to amplify Black businesses and change that Black buying power narrative, to date, through the Village Market ATL, as well as her team, she's trained and helped hundreds of businesses showcase their products at their marketplace event Plus, on average, businesses who participate average about three dollars to $6,000 in sales within the first five hours of selling their products or services. And let me tell y'all something. Word around town is she shut an Atlanta highway down with people waiting in their cars on a line to enter the village market. That speaks volumes to the familiar uh, African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. The truth of the matter is it takes a village to raise an entrepreneur with a dream and it takes an even bigger village to create any sort of meaningful change we want to see in this world. Welcome, Dr. Key. (laughs) So, enough (laughs) of me chatting and running by mouth. Tell us about the aha moments that inspired you to Village Market ATL.
1: Uh, First, let me tell you, I'm so grateful um, to be on your podcast and in this space. I'm very appreciative for the work that you do. Um, and honestly, the aha moment to start the Village Market is because I have the privilege to be connected to people like yourself in this entrepreneur space. And I'm a festival gore. I'm a marketplace type of woman. And wherever I tell people, wherever there's art, good plant-based food community, you can find me there. I found myself in 2014, 2015, being a resident of Atlanta, uh, native of Mississippi, and I would go to these different markets and these different festivals. And as much as I would enjoy myself, I didn't see a a representation of black people, black makers, black sellers in these spaces. And I'm a researcher, so I'm always wondering why. And the aha moment was, we're not in these spaces because these large festivals are not being curated by us. Mm. There's no one in responsibility to think about placing us in the best position where thousands upon thousands of people are coming to simply shop from artisans. And I didn't give it any long, in-depth thought. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to create a marketplace for Black owned businesses, it's going to be dope. It's going to be so Black and so excellent. It's going to welcome entrepreneurs, families, women, Black men, LGBTQ, it didn't matter. It is going to represent what it looks like to be a part of a powerful, impactful village. And I was going to infuse music in and live entertainment. I was going to build a village, a plant-based cafe. Um, not, saying, not to be one of those plant-based people that's saying, oh, you need to be vegan. I just always believe in giving people palate experiences and from those experiences allowing them to choose. So I thought of the concept at the close of 2015. In three months, I created my very first village market and I never even rented a venue before. I never worked in the capacity of understanding what a vendor was and what it means to be a vendor. I just knew that there was a need and my heart and intestinal fortitude has always supplied all of my needs my entire life. And I just happened to there and I, I hit the ground running. I love.
0: So you, do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Did you have someone to lean on? Talk about the first three steps that you take, uh, because for, if you came from an entrepreneurial family, you know, some people think you have that line of sight. But sometimes, for those who don't come from an entrepreneurial family, of course, there's a learning gap.
1: I'm very fortunate. My, my grandparents are entrepreneurs. My grandfather is now deceased, but he was a mechanic in Mississippi. And my grandmother, who is still living, um, was an amazing senior for the Mississippi Delta. Mm. Being young, I didn't really understand that they were entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Until I got older, I was able to really process the fact that my grandmother paid the mortgage, uh, pay her home off in, in 10 short years, literally by the gift of her sewing machine. And seeing how many people would come to my grandfather to get to get their their car repaired, I didn't get it when I was young, but I do. It, it's being so close to something lived every day, I believe set a certain type of fire inside of me. I saw people create with their hands, build community around it, and then build a life because of it. I'm um, college educated because of my grandmother's sewing machine and my grandfather's labor. The, the thing that I got from them is having a barometer of excellence. They worked so hard that every customer was pleased with their work. I learned that early, What I didn't learn from them is what does it mean to scale on a national, international level and having a different level of business acumen? Because where my grandparents come from is where we all come from, the blueprint of what it means to be in a black-owned, cooperated town, um, cooperated town where black people are going to support black people because that's what we did. And so in the small town of Mark, Mississippi, where my grandmother lives, she was the seamstress. They wouldn't have gone anywhere anyway. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was the auto mechanic. Um, they wouldn't have gone anywhere anyway unless someone else black create, open a shop. And that's when I learned the power of black people supporting black people. I've seen that my entire life, but learning how to scale and grow a business, um, bringing on partners, building partnerships like we have with the Bahamas and other countries that now getting ready to be on board that represents like the diaspora. that was a learning curve. Um, I didn't know how to write a business plan. Luckily, I had written a dissertation and I figured it worked the same way. Uh, have an abstract, have a clear, concise idea of what I wanted and make sure the data um, bag this big idea in my mind and that it could grow and multiply into something else that could sustain. I thank God that I have both a living blueprint of what entrepreneurship is and then the other part of me that's an academic um, and my parents forcing my sister and I to operate in the highest level of academia and academic excellence. I'm grateful for that blueprint and because of that I was able to be mixed with both ingredients that I think it takes to be successful in this life. Um, But the learning curve was quite prevalent. I would come from a traditional background of being a high school teacher and then working with the Department of Education and learning how to understand QuickBooks and all these other things, I was like, oh, my goodness, I need to keep my job. Um, but I also know the power of relationships. You surround yourself with the right people. Right. You're steadfast enough. You can learn anything.
0: Right. So so let's talk about the business model a bit. So how do you attract uh, business owners or vendors, and how often are you doing the village market in Atlanta?
1: The first time I did the village market in 2016, I had nurtured relationships with entrepreneurs. I started teaching classes, um, free classes at Urban Ground Coffee Shops on community uh, business, financial literacy, um, uh, introspective. Health and how to grow wealth through that lens, a very wordy concept that if you live holistically, the good will come. Um, and as I would build these classes, entrepreneurs would come to these classes, and business owners would come to these classes. So when it was time for me to launch, uh, the, launch the Village Market, I didn't have to solicit to anyone that I hadn't met already. Mm. These people are already on my mailing list from classes that I was giving of a free service to the community. Mm. So I, I remember the last class that I did at Urban Grind before I did the Village Market. I said, I have this really crazy idea, and I'll tell you guys about it during the next class. And I told the community about the about the Village Market, and I said, I have space for 20 vendors. And I thought at that, at that time, that was a lot. Um, I have I have space and every day when somebody would sign up I could find myself just smiling so big like oh my gosh this thing is really going to happen and since that first market in 2016 we had over 500 people to come out and I say this very humbly we have not had to solicit ask for anyone to vent Um, In the village market, we have an overwhelming list of people who complete the application since 2016 to now 2020 um, that we have to vet and screen and go through a whole application process with a committee now to get businesses to be involved. Um, And I believe that happened because even in my first market, I treated it like I had done it a hundred times. I didn't give myself any, any room that it couldn't be. Just okay. It had to be amazing. I had to offer the highest level of customer service to the entrepreneurs. But I had, I made myself see entrepreneurs as entrepreneurs and not vendors. Vendors sometimes minimize the work that people put in to even get into that space to showcase. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be of service to entrepreneurs and coming from a customer service. Background, And I believe that the, my, my students, I believe in getting them when I was a teacher, the highest level of excellence. I treated the entrepreneurs the same way. And I made sure when patrons came in the door, that they were greeted by love, that every business was ready, that the products were stellar, and that our customer service and the melanin was on point. Mm.
0: So, so ta- take me through that vetting process. Now, you have a committee. How do they? What What are at least two to three things that would really help them choose one business over another business? And are these businesses have to be located in Atlanta, or are, can people kind of apply and they live in New York, but they could apply to vend it at the market?
1: Really good questions. Um, so to take your first question, the the vetting process, I've created a rubric uh twenty and a half years ago with how we were started scoring and assessing businesses. One of the first and major components for me is having a social impact on. I believe that in order to grow community that when someone invests in you then you have to reinvest it back. So we look to see if the entrepreneurs who we're gonna work with are already doing service in their community. Um, so that's the number one. And the second thing we look to see if there's a business model in place and what that looks like for us, the business model, do they have an operating website that if the market were to close, mm. people can still shop from them. Because if I only think about businesses making money that one night, I failed in my vision. Mm. My goal is that business owners, you may find out about them at the village market. But you can shop from them all year because their platforms, their Shopify pages are already up and operating. So we look for things like that, and we also uh, assess the businesses who may not have everything that they need. But we see a, we see a great deal of potential. They just need the village to help them tweak things before the doors open. Mm. Um, so those are the things that we look at, and when when businesses apply, what they apply for. Is a three month relationship with us, meaning you have to sign up for our webinars, you have to sign up for the come up clinics because I don't want just the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I want like businesses to get the resources that they need in the case they that they may never been to village market, but when they open their brick and mortar, they have what they need because we gave it to them, or if they do essence festival, well, they have everything that they need. Um, So that relationship piece and knowing that you're committed to now being part of a family Mm. and that the marketplace is just a condiment to the experience. Right. People are going to come and spend money on you. But what I want is to make sure that people can spend money on you before, during, and after the marketplace Mm. and that your business model is in the right place as a pipeline to feed the community. Um, you gotta remind me of the other part of the question you asked Uh,
0: how far uh, do businesses come to participate in the market or are you just looking for businesses in the Atlanta area
1: so currently we represent 23 states Mm. and 7 countries I don't know when that happened (laughs) but one day we had a business (laughs) I don't Uh, I just know that we started getting people to apply from California and to get people to apply to a marketplace that live on the West coast and we're in the South. I looked at the financial commitment they have to make to get a plane ticket, to shop their products here, to then find housing here, to then showcase. That's when I knew that we had something different. Um, and then from California to New York, to, to Texas, we had a business come from South Africa. We have a partnership with the Bahamas, so we welcome at least 15 businesses from Nassau 3 Freeport at, at this point. Um, but we are sprawling across the United States. I want to reach more, though. Yeah. I, I think I'm grateful to just be at the tipping point of the work that we're going to do. We're just getting started. We're only three and a half years old. Um, but we're housed in Atlanta. But we're open for all black businesses wherever they exist, as long as the heart of, heart of the community is first. I
0: absolutely am just so <laughs> wild by this, particularly because thanks to your site, you know, you talked about on your website the one point one trillion dollars spending power that African Americans have. However, there's, what, two cents going back into uh, the business, Afro, you know, Black-owned businesses. And that is just sad in itself. And so working to close that gap is such an incredible feat, uh, one that is definitely needed. And also just the, the fact that you're providing that three-month support speaks volumes about it takes a village. Mm-hmm. So now I want to transition a bit to uh, the mindset shift. So one of my favorite things to talk about is how, as we are growing businesses or trying to initiate change, there is a shift in your mindset that has to occur just to push past any uh, fear, self-doubt, dealing with rejection um, I was lovingly stalking. You know I lovingly stalk you on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a while back you posted, I want to say it was January 2019. I believe you lost the, your grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, What's the, what do you say to yourself as you're facing your own storm in life? And then you have this incredible feat where you're not just focused on a on, on on a profit. You are attempting to change the conversation and change the world. How do you process grief and what are some of the things that you are saying to yourself to keep going through those times?
1: That is an amazing question. So I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves and not, and we don't spend enough time finding those sobering moments of grief. So when, I, when my grandfather died, and I had a village market coming up, literally within 30 days, I believe, afterwards, I'm grateful that I have a team that is, has been empowered to operate, even if I'm in Mississippi, consoling my grandmother. Hmm. I allowed myself to grieve. I lost my mother in 2011. I didn't think I was going to ever survive that. But even when she transitioned, I can only remember the words that I heard my entire life. That if it's been put on us, we can bear it. Embarrassed in such a way that we can help other people find strength in our own pain. But I know in order to find strength in the pain, we have to feel all the pain first. Mm-hmm. I grieve my grandfather and what it means to lose the piece of the family cord. I grieve having an unwavering love for me in a physical form. Because what I understand is when we lose people who love us without condition is that we've lost a lifeline who breathes life in us when we're down. Mm. And I grieve that. But what kept me going is the words of my grandfather. I may have to leave, but I've built a foundation strong enough for you to stand on. Mm. The same words that my mother said. I am going to die. These were her words two weeks before she died, and she looked fine. I am going to die, but I raised my children to live without me. Mm. And when I felt like I was going to die myself because I was so sad, I say, But my mother raised me to live without her. And when I was burying my grandfather, I felt the earth that I was standing on, and I looked at it symbolically as his shoulders. Think about how strong and powerful the earth is. When you have people who love you, that foundation is just as strong. Mm -hmm. And I just tap into that. And when I feel like my heart can't take anymore, I find me a tree to sit on, and I cry until I feel better. Then I get back to work. But I don't take grief down because I don't want it to show up later when I need to be strong. Right. I'm on grief because that means a part of me has yet to heal.
0: Right. Right. That's such a powerful perspective. Now, you talked about having a team. How many people help you breathe life more and more life into the village market?
1: I have amazing nine powerful unicorns wow. on my team um, I started with just Danielle, and Danielle is the only person on my team who I knew before as a friend. Okay. And I knew that I needed help. I knew that Danielle was that type of friend, that if I ever needed anything, that she would be there. Right. But also that she's the type of friend that would tell me the most brutal honesty. Mm-hmm. And that is the type of accountability that you need if you're going to work with someone who you already love. Right. And I needed help. I needed someone that I could trust. And so I told Danielle to take this journey with me. I told I didn't know exactly where the journey would, would go because I'm an untraditional business owner. I didn't start with a business plan, I just started with a lot of passion right. for what I saw. And she took the journey and when then one day, Kristen popped up. She's a techie on our team. She helped me build my first website and really understand coding and things like that. And at the code, at the Kristen, we stick some more women in and we just added a guy to the team, Berto. He's over marketing. He's a but I But I have amazing people on my team who can operate the village and I am recording a podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) And they have a love, not just for me, but a love for community. Loving me is not enough.
0: Right.
1: You have to have a deep love for community and changing the narrative and a deep appreciation that we were birthed in black skin. Mm. That's what I assess for. And then I also assess the talents that I don't have. Right. I'm good at the things I'm good at. I need to be surrounded by people who can educate me on this journey so we can strengthen the village, which means we're strengthening more opportunities for black-owned businesses.
0: Right. Because one of the things, as I'm listening to you, one of the things that you really, it seems like you got really really early on is that you needed a team and that you needed to make not only some investments in yourself, but just investments in building a team and building the structure. And I know a lot of the times, one of the things that uh, small business owners, I don't, I don't like to say small business, entrepreneurs struggle with is asking for help or hiring help or investing in themselves. So, but that's something you did very early on. Correct? Yes, um, I did I. Ask-
1: So the first investment I made in the village market was not a website, (laughs) none of that stuff. I got an attorney um, because I knew what I saw in my mind was going to be powerful. And I needed to protect what I saw. And that was the first investment. And I was still working, had a full uh, nine-to-five job. I began tutoring on side to save money to pay a retainer fee. That was the first investment. Um, and then after that, my second investment was then to start onboarding people to the team. In any other industry, you're you're never alone. Right. We work for Corporate America there as the team. And I'm very aware of what my gifts are.
0: Right.
1: And I think that's probably what I learned early in life, of what my magic is and what it isn't. Right. And that it's more powerful to be in a magical space with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've struggled as well. Like, I, I can't paint a picture to you that I wasn't one of those entrepreneurs who sometimes hurt myself by not asking for help. Mm-hmm. I didn't always know how to ask. Right. I knew that I needed a team for some things, but there are times when I was trying to figure out how to build a ticketing system on a website because I wanted my company to run. I was, you know, think about essence. I wanted it to run like that. I didn't want people to just have to pay tickets at the door. I wanted it to run like we've been in the business for 25 years. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure it, I'm trying to figure out this. Then I'm going to an event space because I bootstrapped the company. If lights have to be hung, I'm on a, la- I'm on a ladder hanging now. Right. if t-shirts had to be printed, I didn't have to run to Norcross to pick up a t-shirts all of this is happening in one day and I found myself being burned out and I do deep assessments of where I am internally mm-hmm. and I said look at you being a hypocrite you tell people to ask for what they need all the time and you've gone from Marietta to Norcross um, to downtown Atlanta and people who don't live here, that is a lot of time in traffic. Right. <laughs> Trying to do all these things and you're just one person. Either mm-hmm. you're going to use the people that God send you or you're going to keep suffering. And I looked at it that way, but I struggled with the same thing. But I knew early on in order to grow this the way that I needed it to grow, mm-hmm. I had to be around powerful people who can move in spaces that I can't move in. Right.
0: What looking back at at on, on the last three years, what do you believe is the the habit that has contributed to your success the most?
1: Consistency. Mm-hmm. I wake up four thirty every morning, and I I, I pray first. Mm-hmm. I drink my water. I set my intention, and I get to work. Mm. I tell people it is, it would be hard to outwork me. Right. (laughs) I may become exhausted with the process, but I'm never tired of working for my purpose ever.
0: Mm. And Uh, I'm
1: sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That level of consistency, I believe is why we've been able to grow in in a short amount of time, but we're still at, we're still at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very consistent, mm-hmm. and I'm very honest with. Even if the community says this was good, in my mind, unless we really feel that it was good, we don't we don't live in the light in that way. We're always seeking to improve. Mm-hmm. Good is okay. We want to be excellent, right? So what I are, want every experience. Um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just want every experience to be better than the previous experience for entrepreneurs, for patrons, for anyone who I come in contact with by way of the village.
0: What I really like about what you just said was we're always looking for ways or seeking ways to improve. And I know for some reason we think we have to be perfect when we just start out, right? And we forget that probably we do updates on our iPhones or smartphones at least once a week. So why would we think we don't have to see ways to improve?
1: <laughs>
0: How do you seek to improve? Where are you getting feedback from?
1: I get feedback from a council of advisors. Their only job in my life is to tell me the truth. And thankfully, they're not in the same industry that I'm in, but they're entrepreneurs or they work work in corporate America or they're service providers. I I have them come to the market or come to anything else I have going on and their job is to survey the experience Mm -hmm. from when they go on our website and purchase a ticket to when they get to the parking deck, to when they walk in and the team who greets them, if they're speaking, how was your speaker's package? Were you accommodated? Were you honored and thanked for being the speaker? Because anytime someone gives us a a piece of their knowledge, they gift us a part of them. And we should be thanked for that. And so I do deep assessments and I have people, 13 or 14 people, anything that I'm doing, assessing the process. Of course, we survey entrepreneurs. We survey people who come um, in as patrons. As my team, I do team assessments of my my job as a leader. Uh, am I communicating properly? Am I empowering you in ways that you feel that you need empowering? Do I wait long enough to listen to you complete your sentence? Because sometimes I'm 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 am I'm love working, so I'm my mind is always moving. And what I said for anyone who joins my team, that I will always be still and see you. Did I see you in this season? And those are the things I look for because it's not just in producing a good business and being successful. We want to be good humans to each other. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Right. Incredibly important. So what else are you speaking into existence this year?
1: We're speaking more countries being involved come through Black Diaspora. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're speaking that. I'm speaking cities and states and entrepreneurs and cities and states who are looking for a space Mm. that they find us. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking of a level of uh, elevation for the village that people think first, how can I support a black owned business? Not as a trend, not because there's an event going on, because that's just what we do. I'm speaking that we congratulate each other for our work, but we all work in a space of humility where we're always aspiring to get better. The black-owned businesses start receiving the capital and the resources that they need mm-hmm. and we need to scale and sustain. I am actively working to get grants so black-owned businesses can start hiring people to grow. Mm-hmm. It is difficult to grow and scale if you don't bring enough revenue in to employ people. We can't improve the economy if we cannot create jobs. I'm actively working to be one of the people that saw this answer. Mm. But yeah, I'm speaking goodness though, and yeah, pro- prosperity see. in a real way.
0: I hear, I hear. So how <laughs> can people follow you and keep you up to date so they can at least attempt to attend one of the, I'm sure you just finished a major market. When was
1: it December? When was your last one? The last one was Black Friday Festival so was two days. It was the biggest market we've ever had. Oh, wow. um, yeah, we was we received a proclamation from the city. It was so many like look at God moments. Right. Um it was amazing. Right. What if there's one proud moment that you could
0: think of in the last six months, what do you think you would say it is?
1: In the last six months, on one of the most proudest moments, uh, there's a business who's been in the village market since the very first one. Um, And to see this man grow, he wasn't a plant-based chef at the time. Um, The first time he had done plant-based foods for a large community was with the village market. Mm -hmm. And to see him securing contracts for movie sets, for political figures, to these major events in Atlanta to come to in the city. That was always the goal Mm. to see businesses and business owners have to quit the thing that they had to do just to survive and be able to fully commit to what they love. I get to see this, not just through him, through several businesses. Mm. That is, you need wake you up in the morning and be like, all right, let's go that wakes me up in the morning and said, let's go.
0: That's right. I feel like, okay, let me step my game up after that story. <laughs> uh, so, okay. so to keep in touch with you, I know you're on Instagram. Could you share your, uh, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're everywhere. Uh, I know you have an a, a, a email list too. So how, what's the best way for people to keep up to date with the next uh, market event?
1: So to keep up with, The Village Market for all entrepreneurs and patrons. um, Follow the Village Market ATL on all platforms. Our website is thevillagemarketatl.com. We have an amazing blog on there, um, so you can gain resources that you need and learn other program opportunities and learn about our next market. So check out our website. Is um, very resourceful. If you want to follow me personally, I'm learning to get better at the social media thing. <laughs> it is, I am, it's been a journey. Dr. Key Hallman, D-R-K-E-Y-H-A-L-L-M-O-N M-O-N, on um, Gmail and LinkedIn. Okay. Um, but our mailing list is on our website. Everything that you need for Village Market, we are a one-stop shop for black excellence.
0: Okay. Well, y'all heard it from the best source you will ever hear it from. Dr. Key, I just want to thank you for giving me, as well as my listeners, their entire life
1: today. <laughs> I <think> I <laughs> thank look you forward, so much for having me.
0: I, I so look forward to continuing to watch you blaze trails, not only in Atlanta, but beyond. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you.